Good morning. Preaching Jesus' name this morning. It truly is a blessing to be here. And uh, yes, this is my first time. And I am deeply humbled by it. It's a message. I want this message to be from the Lord, not from me. And that is my goal. I struggled a little bit with what to share and where to go and how to start. And I'm sure every new minister has that mountain to, to face. And I guess I went down different avenues. And the one that I found uh, the most uh, peace with and reflecting was it's found in Matthew 5. And it's the Beatitudes, it's very familiar, and uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of truth in this message that Jesus spoke, and that's what maybe make, gives me comfort in this, is that this isn't my message, this is Jesus' message. And uh, so that's, that's where I'm going with this. Um, I'm going to read the entire... Uh, account here of Matthew 5, 1 through 12, the Beatitudes, and then we'll go from there. I'm not going to, I thought I would do a quick summary, or a summary of the Beatitudes, and realize that there's so much truth in this, and I actually got stuck on the very first one, that's as far as I got, so we'll see how time goes. Begin reading at Matthew 5, verse 1 through 12. And seeing the multitudes, and went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which persecute you for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I'll stop reading there. So, looking at these Beatitudes here. Um, this sermon actually starts here and goes into chapter 7 of Matthew and uh, is probably known as one of the longest sermons that Jesus that we have recorded that Jesus would have spoken. And uh, I remember as a student in school having the assignment to learn this as memory and we did chapter 5, 6, and 7, and then we even had a prize if we did everything in one sitting. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and I know you did it. And I can't remember that I did it, and I don't know why I can't. I can remember that you did it, but I can't remember that I did it. So I don't know why I maybe didn't do it. Um, so it's a good passage to memorize, and reading through it, it comes to, comes to mind very quickly when you memorize it. The other, thing, the other privilege I had is when we took our trip to the Middle East, we went and uh, we're at this location. Very beautiful spot there by the Sea of Galilee. 
uh, a very natural amphitheater. One would not have to probably raise his voice very loud to speak to a crowd. And of course, over there, when there's something special, they they blow it up with all kinds of shrines and special things. But this particular spot wasn't quite that bad. But it was a beautiful garden, and you walked through it. There was trees, there was vines, there was ferns, and then they had little signs, little plaques with each of the Beatitudes as you walk through it. Um, just one of the memories that I had. Also, the Beatitudes are, are somewhat like a proverb. They are very concise, short, and but full of, uh, full of meaning. And this morning, we're just going to look at the very first one there in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> This must be important if Jesus said it. Is there any significant to that? And also, I don't think there is any... I think there's a reason and order indefinite how Jesus said this. And I think we can take from this that verse 3 is actually a key to the rest of the Beatitudes and in the sequence that he gave them. So... Um, the rest, if I continue this this series here on the Beatitudes, I'm not gonna. I don't know if I can make a sermon out of each one, but this first one is a, is a key, and I think there's a lot packed in here. So I'm gonna divide it into two sections. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's very very easy to divide it. it. Comes with a condition, and then it comes with a blessing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're gonna probably spend more time looking at the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? The New Living Translation puts it this way, God bless those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Poverty of spirit is not speaking of people who are poor financially, but those that are poor in their spiritual deficiency, realizing their need, they are spiritually humble. The interesting thing here is the setting with Jesus bringing this out that in those days the pharisaical thing would have been pomp and pride and power and this is a backwards way of of going about it. Being poor in spirit also doesn't mean being being biblical illiterate. Having biblical knowledge can help our growth as a Christian, but does not guarantee it. Also, spiritual maturity involves being and living according to God's Word. It's not how much we know, but how much we obey and apply it in our life. So what do you think the response of the people would have been here? The audience that Jesus was speaking to... What do you think their response was? What were they used to? Were they like mouths dropped and did you hear what he said? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It seems kind of contradictory that you would use the word poor. It's kind of a backwards way of doing it. It's an upside down idea. There's a little clue that we have. It's found in the same sermon. 
chapter 7, verse 28. It's at the end there. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. So yeah, their mouths were probably open. This goes against our human nature. Our human nature is, you know, give me power. Give me, uh, give me power so I can set them straight. Um, there's also a classic example in, uh, and you probably already are thinking about it, and that is uh, found in Luke 18. It's the example of the Pharisee and the, and the publican in the prayer. Luke 18, verses 11 through 14. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as the other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. Here are two individuals. One that looks to be doing what's right. He's got it figured out. And he's proud about it. The other one realizes that, you know what? I am a needy man, and I need God. Where do you find yourself here this morning? Which, which one are you? Does my view of God affect my poor in spirit? These are some questions that I just asked as I was contemplating this. I saw an interesting quote this week by John Piper. If Christians give most of their time to be moaning and criticizing the world for acting like the world, our vision of God and His glorious future for His people will become smaller and smaller, and that could be a greater tragedy than the moral tragedy we're living in. And the reason for that quote was for all the hype and uh, news that's going on about the bathroom policy, that's disgusting. And, but yet, the world's going to act like the world. And uh, where's our focus? And I think it's interesting here, looking at this <clears throat> account in Matthew 5, and even prior to Jesus' ministry, actually this, I'll, I'll be honest, I thought the sermon on Mount, I, I really thought this was Jesus' first, uh, first sermon, but as I was studying this, it actually didn't happen until probably the second year of his ministry. But um, from Malachi in the Old Testament to Jesus' ministry was approximately about 400 years. There was silence. God didn't use any prophets. Nothing was said. It was just silent. But yet there were those that were still faithful in that time frame. And uh, they were still anticipating and, and seeking and looking for a Messiah. And I guess as I thought about that in the world that we're living now, are we being faithful and anticipating the return of the Lord? 
not saying that the Lord is silence, the Lord is still speaking, but it makes us more accountable. Why is the poor in spirit something God wants us to be? It's really the only time that God can work with us. It's when we give up ourselves and we fall before an almighty God saying, I am nothing. That is when God can say, or God can take that and start working with it. We need to realize our need of dependence on Him. It's only by His grace and mercy that we can have hope in claiming this promise of inheriting the kingdom of God. As we look to God, we will see more of Him and less of us. People who are poor in spirit are those that are humble before an almighty God. And they have come to a king as helpless and hopeless sinners. And there is no arrogance in them, no self-righteous. Even one who wishes to enter the kingdom of heaven must be poor, empty, totally of self. And the reason of that is because salvation is a gift from God. So how do we know if we're poor in spirit? Well... What's poor? Uh, poor people have few possessions. They are oppressed. They usually have little power. They don't have much hope. Um, they have no resources to fall back on. And pretty much they need to depend on others. That is the definition of a poor person. So as you think about that, being poor, in some ways that can apply into the spiritual side of being poor. You know, what what do we have? What is ours? It's all God's anyway. Um, yet we still like to get our hands on it and grasp it and say it's mine. Um, we like to take the little power that we have and use it. Um, but no, we need to realize the, the source of this power is God. And it's as we de- rely and depend on that that gives us the promise of the kingdom of heaven. It goes against our makeup. I want to be in control. I want to know where my next my next paycheck is coming from. I want to make a future for myself. And you could add to that list. Another uh, good illustration is look at the children of Israel. When they left Egypt, um, there they took lots of wealth, gold, you name it. They took lots of riches with them as plunder from the Egyptians. But you know, when they got out in the wilderness, did that help them? It did. They still had to rely on God for their daily needs. And what happened? They cried to Moses for food and water. The riches, the material uh, wealth that they had didn't even help them. And they still needed to depend on God for their physical needs. 
And the same goes with us for our spiritual life. We need God to meet our daily needs. So first in Luke 12, verse 22, through verse 28. Very familiar passage. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn. And God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? And if ye then be not able to do that thing, which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If, God, if then God so clothed the grass which is today in the, in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will you be clothed, you, O ye of little faith? Right, there's a promise that God is going to take care of us. How much thought do I put in to my everyday life? Do I worry about it? Do I get concerned when things start going wrong? I try to take it in my own hands and turn it around. Some promises that we find, I got a few scriptures here that um, God will accept the poor in spirit. And that uh, scripture is found in Psalms you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifice of God, the sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. So God is going to accept the poor in spirit. If you have a broken and contrite heart, that is what God desires, and He will accept that. God will be close to the poor in spirit. That's found in Psalms 34:18. Back a few pages. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save such as be of a contrite spirit. God will give grace to the poor in spirit. Found in James 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Another verse, back a few pages, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, also speaks of that. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that ye be exalted, that He may exalt you in due time. So, what is the practical result of this blessing? If we are poor in spirit, we are going to be able to bring an honest appraisal of ourselves to our work. We won't inflate ourselves. We won't inflate our resume. We won't boast about our position. 
we know how difficult it is to work with people that do that, that try to maintain an inflated picture of themselves. But we need to commit ourselves to be honest about ourselves. We need, God's, we need to seek God's presence and strength in our lives each day as we live as Christians where we work. As I thought about that also, um, there's these uh, trains, metros, whatever you want to call them. They got uh, juice running through them, electric current. And you can, you can see it. You can physically see it because there's sparks. And uh, I know they're, they're working because the trains are running. And it works great. But did you ever contemplate what would happen if that train got off to the side of the track? Its wheels are not touching the track, and it's sitting there. It's, not, it's disconnected. It's not getting the juice. If somebody would cut the current, that train is going to stop. There's no juice flowing to it. And uh, I like to think of us as Christians that we need to tap into God's current, grab a hold of it, whether your wheels are on the track or whether you've got to reach up to grab the line, you grab a hold of that juice and it's going to flow through you. It's going to give you power and it's going to give you what you need to stand in the, the, the trials of your life. And that leads us into the second part of this Matthew 5.3. For the kingdom, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a, a verse found in John 18.36 that speaks of Christ's kingdom. Jesus Christ's kingdom is not of this world. John 18.36 Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Where is our kingdom? Is our kingdom in this world? Well, it's very obvious here. Christ's kingdom is not in this world. Inheriting the kingdom of God is for those who have accepted the call of salvation. And it is costly. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Verses 43 through 50. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the son of the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in the field, and which when a man hath found, he, hid, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man, seeking godly goodly perils, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and brought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that, is, that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the goods, gathered the good in the vessel, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Kingdom of God 
is costly. It's valuable. And there is going to be a dividing. There's only two camps you can be in. You're either in or you're out. The kingdom of God comes with urgency. Let's look at Luke 9. Verse 59. Luke chapter 9, verse 59. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we see the urgency to that being in the kingdom of God. Another aspect of the kingdom of God is becoming as a child. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Verse 14, this is Mark 10, 14, 15. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Now, it's very easy for us to, for those of us that have children, to understand that somewhat in how children are so dependent on their parents. And I think that concept carries the same way that we need to have that same dependence on God. Those that do the will of God are going to be the ones that enter into that kingdom of God. And let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, verses, chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Now everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I prophesy unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Interesting how this kind of goes along with the Sunday school lesson in looking at false prophets and false teachers. Um... You know, it's right here that there's people that claim to be doing what's right. And the Lord is going to say, I don't know you. You didn't have a relationship with me. Depart from me. So to wrap this up, I trust that we all want and desire to enter into this kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. But first of all, we must become poor in spirit. And I trust that's 
our desire, and that's why we're here this morning. There's an illustration of that I like, or as I think about how we look at God in, in this part of being poor in spirit, and that is... Um, most of, most of you know what the Willis Tower is. It uh, used to be the Sears Tower. It's in Chicago. It's a landmark. And uh, you, can, you can see that building from some distance. It's a, it's a big building. And um, as you get closer, the bigger that building gets. And, you know, you don't realize how big that building is until you actually are standing at the base of it and you got to look up at it. And I like that uh, illustration to the fact that as we draw closer to God, you know, God, the more we draw closer to God, the bigger and greater it's going gonna, it's gonna to be. And that's my desire is that as we look on God, the, the greater it's going to be. As we see God and our need of Him... That is going to be the key to true happiness. I like the song. How many remember the third song that we sang this morning? 440. The words of it are very powerful. I'm just going to read it as, as a closing. For me to live is the title. For me to live is Christ, to die is endless gain. For him I gladly bear the cross and welcome grief and pain. A pilgrim, pilgrim needs my lot, my home is in the skies. I nightly pitch my tent below and daily high, higher rise. I fare with Christ, my Lord. His path, the path I chose. They join who suffer most with Him. They win who with Him lose. The dawn of this distant hill shines o'er the vale below. The shadow of this world are lost in light to which I go. Faithful may I endure and hear my Savior say, Thrice welcome home, beloved child, in her is endless day.